Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Welcome. We're so glad you're all here. Hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. Uh, Hope you're not too much in a food coma. I'll try to preach shorter today so you don't fall asleep from all the turkey. And uh, it's good to be together. And for you at home, so glad you're joining us as well. Uh, I want you to see something. I want you to meet someone. This is uh, Daniel Kish. Uh, Daniel is a man riding a bike, as you can see. He rides a bike on the street. He rides a bike with people. He rides a bike on uh, trails. He'll even go hiking on these trails as well. And you guys are saying, why are you showing me a guy riding a bike? I've seen that a million times before. And the reason I'm showing you this is because this man is 100% blind. He doesn't even have eyes. Daniel Kish was born um, and very soon after that developed cancer in his eyes. And so they removed his eyes at a very, very young age. You might be wondering, how does Daniel see to ride a bike? He uses echolocation. He makes clicks and sounds with his mouth. And the sound reverberates off of things around him, and he gets a somewhat visual image by using that. He's trained his brain to see without having eyes. Isn't that a crazy thing? They have actually done uh, brain scans of him while he's using echolocation. Um, And uh, it's really interesting While he's seeing his world around him with sound, the actual uh, vision center of his brain is being used. So when he's making sound and hearing it, he's seeing things in his mind. He he describes it, if you see uh, him talk about it, as like he gets a 3D image of what's going around with sound somehow. He's trained his mind to do this. It's insanely cool. Some people would say that Daniel can't see, but Daniel says he, he just sees differently than the rest of us, that he does indeed see. Um, because most of us have these physical eyes that work, we become accustomed only to the material world around us. We think that what is real are the things we can see with our eyes. This is the most acute sensory that we have. Sensory input that we have is what we see. We can just open our eyes and see everywhere around us and see the things and see the people. And so for us, um, we get so accustomed to the physical world around us and the things that we can see with our eyes. But most of us are disabled when it comes to seeing past what is right in front of our faces, aren't we? Seeing things deeper than just what we can see with our eyes, the material world, seeing things behind the things that we see seeing the realities that lie beyond what is material, seeing with the eyes of faith. I think most of us have a disability in in that place, and we have to train our eyes, train our ears, train our hearts and minds to see the world around us much differently than we do, like Daniel has had to train himself. Jesus is inviting us to see differently, to see past the material and to perceive the spiritual, to see past what is happening and perceive why it's happening. We need a little bit of that right now, don't we? To see past the immediate and perceive the eternal. Jesus is inviting us to see differently. He's inviting us to see like a blind man. And so in Scripture, it's really interesting, this this blindness 
metaphor is used all over Scripture, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And blindness often in Scripture is used as a metaphor for unbelief. When, when the Bible talks about someone being blind, not physically, but metaphorically blind, it's talking about their heart, their mind, not seeing God for who He is and trusting God for who He is. It's about unbelief. In Matthew 23, one of the other Gospels, uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees blind guides. Imagine that, someone guiding someone else. They can't see themselves, but hey, I'll show you where to go. Well, how, how can you get me there? You can't see. Yeah, exactly. Leading people into error, leading people to fall into the same pits they would fall into. That's how Jesus describes the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Because of their unwillingness to see Jesus for who he is, to believe God on God's own terms. And so today in Mark 8, if you want to turn there, that would be awesome. Mark 8, verse 11. We're going to meet a series of blind men, several blind men, actually. Now, one of them in this passage we're going to read is obviously blind. He, he actually can't see with his eyes. But the others that we're going to see and meet in this passage are blind, but not in the physical sense. They're blind, but in a spiritual sense, in a much more serious sense, because it is serious to be physically blind. That is a major disability and so difficult to navigate the world without the use of your eyes. But there is a sense in which we can be blind that is much more serious than being even physically blind. Not to minimize that, but there's a sense in which we can be spiritually blind, and that has eternal consequences, doesn't it? So some of the blind men we'll see today are blind because they refuse to see the world. Jesus' way, while some of them that we're going to see today, they just haven't learned how to yet. It's not that they're refusing to, they're just learning, and they're not there yet, they're stuck. And so Jesus' invitation to every one of us today is to watch them and to learn and to see. He wants us to see differently than we were born seeing. But sadly, not everyone who is blind wants to see. Not everyone who, who is blind to the truth, not everyone who is blind to Jesus and, and, and faith in him wants to change, wants to see. We see that starting in verse 11. Read this with me. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Can you imagine Jesus just taking a deep breath and just, ah, he's dealt with these guys over and over and over. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, why wouldn't Jesus just give these Pharisees the sign they're looking for. They're basically saying, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you say you're the Messiah, you say you're something special, you say you're from God, prove it. Now, is it unreasonable, if someone's making gigantic claims like that, is it unreasonable for them to show proof? I don't think it's unreasonable. If someone showed up right here and said, oh, I'm the Messiah, I'm the promised one, wouldn't you be like, hey, I need a little bit more than just your word on that? Wouldn't you? I would. It is okay to expect someone who's making great claims to back it up with proof. 
But the issue isn't that Jesus hadn't proven himself. In the book of Mark up to this point, Jesus has been all around this Sea of Galilee. This is where he's been. And he's done miracle after miracle after miracle after sign after sign after sign after sign from heaven. All these things that were prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do, Jesus has been doing. He's been raising dead people. He's been healing deaf people. He's been giving sight to the blind. He's been healing all kinds of diseases. He fed 5,000 people from a few loaves of bread. And then again, as if it wasn't enough to feed 5,000, he fed another 4,000 with just a few morsels of food. All in this same region where these Pharisees live. Surely they had seen one of these miracles, or at least, at bare minimum, had heard about it from people that they knew. Multiple witnesses saying these amazing things Jesus had done. Or else why would they have showed up and asked him to do another one? They knew what Jesus was doing and what he was capable of. It wasn't that Jesus hadn't proved himself. It's that the Pharisees would not accept it. They had all the proof they needed, and yet somehow it still wasn't enough. It's not that they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. It's that they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Just one more sign. I just need one more. Oh, no, that was great. Wait, just just one more. Thanks, Jesus. That was great. Wait, just one more. Just raise one more person from the dead. Maybe they weren't really dead. Just heal another blind man. This was the Pharisees. Now, God does not ask us to have blind faith at all. God does not ask us just to believe things that have no proof behind them. But the question is for us and all of us is how much proof is enough? How much proof is enough for you? These Pharisees had no intention of ever allowing Jesus to prove himself. They showed up to test him, hoping they could find some type of weakness in what he did and disprove him. Their intentions that we see in verse 11 were to test him and somehow show him to be false. Now, Jesus is more than willing to prove his validity as God and Messiah. He walked the earth doing all kinds of things, showing who he was. And we have multiple, multiple, multiple eyewitnesses that attest to it. But Jesus will not be a cosmic David Blaine going around doing street magic, proving to you over and over and over again, proving to me over and over again who he is, to try to convince you that he's legit. There comes a point in all of our lives where God has proven himself enough. And now it's no longer about needing proof, but about needing to make a decision. Now we're all in different places with that. Some of us are newer to this and and still taking time to figure out who Jesus is and the claims that the Bible makes about him, are they true? That's okay. Totally okay. Work through that. But there are some of us that we've known long enough and seen long enough and have heard the, 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 the Bible preached and the, the material that we have that show who Jesus was long enough. And it's not, it's not any longer about needing more proof. It's about that we have to make a decision. And so Jesus left these Pharisees in the very blindness that they were so committed to preserving. They say, show us another sign. They didn't really want to believe Jesus. And so he left them in the place that they wanted to be, unbelieving. 
He honored their request. Not the one for the sign, but their request to be left alone and not believe. Jesus honored their request, and he left them in the state of blindness that they chose to be in. And now Jesus steps into a boat with another group of blind men. These ones are a little bit more lovable, though. These guys couldn't see, but it's not because they didn't want to. They just haven't learned how to yet. Verse 14. Verse 14 here is kind of a parenthetical statement. It gives some backstory for what we're going to see a little bit later here, just a few verses from now. But it says this. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Hmm, I wonder if there's someone else in the boat who could solve our problem with not having enough bread. Perhaps someone who's fed five or 4,000 people with a few loaves, maybe. And he, Jesus, so this is the issue. They, they, don't, they don't have enough bread for their journey. They don't have enough food. They're all thinking about their stomachs and that they're going to starve. Jesus isn't thinking about the bread. Jesus starts to teach them. In verse 15, he says, and he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, or the leaven of the Herodians. Leaven, what is leaven? We'll get to that in a second. It's like yeast. It's what makes bread rise, right? But Jesus says, I want you to be careful of these people, two groups of people, Pharisees and Herodians. These people were on opposite sides of the spectrum. In mentioning these two factions of people, Jesus is covering the spectrum of anti-God and anti-Jesus movements in that day. Okay, the Pharisees. These were religious leaders. This was a religious faction who hated the government because the government wasn't letting them be in charge in Israel. But they also hated Jesus because Jesus was going around and gaining crowds and they were losing their what? Their authority, their influence. Now, the Herodians are on the opposite side of the spectrum. They're not the religious wing. These are people who are government uh, there's a government faction who were loyal to King Herod and were at odds with the religious authorities like the Pharisees because they thought that the government should have all the power. They thought Herod should be in charge. And so they also hated Jesus because they feared that he would lead a political uprising to threaten their influence and their authority. Notice that Jesus is hated by both ends of the spectrum because he won't be used for their personal ambitions and gain. You got people who hate each other, but one thing they have in common, they both hate Jesus. Church, I want you to take note of this today in our day and age. Some things have never changed. There are in our day and age religious people who will claim that they speak for God, but are doing so to use you and to use your voice for their ambitions and their vision of what the world should be. There are religious leaders who will preach and speak in the name of God, but their intention is to use you. And no surprise to anyone in here, there are political people from every ideological tribe that will say things you want to hear. They'll say exactly what you want to hear and make you feel like, I'm on your side. I've got your back. I want to make this place what it ought to be. And they'll say everything that you want to hear politically. But they don't care about you. 
They care about their ambitions and their gain. Jesus warned us about these people 2,000 years ago, and guess what? Nothing's changed. Still today, you've got religious factions and you've got political factions all warring for the same thing. I want power. I want control. And Jesus warns his followers, don't be taken up with any of them. Don't let them get into your heart and take up real estate in your heart. Jesus warned us then, and the warning still applies today. Beware, church, of the yeast of the religiously powerful who have big stages and even bigger mouths, but whose first agenda isn't Christ and his kingdom, but rather they hijack Jesus to gain and keep power and influence. And church, beware of the yeast of those who claim to be politically right, left, or center who promise you peace, security, prosperity, and freedom, but whose mouths are full of boasting and arrogant rejection of the truth, calling good evil and calling evil good. Beware. Beware. Open your eyes. See them for what they are. Do not follow them. Why does Jesus talk about the leaven of these different types of people? Yeast is a leavening agent. It's something that you put into uh, uh, something you're baking to make it rise. Anyone in here bake bread? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, okay. If you're going to make like a typical French bread, roll of French bread, like how, how many cups of flour are you going to use? Eight? That is a big roll of French bread. That's like multiple batches. Like For like a roll like this big, you probably like three. But hey, if you want to make one that's eight, that's awesome. Eight cups, three cups, whatever. But like, let's say you use three or four cups for like a smaller loaf. How much yeast are you going to use? Like a half, half tablespoon, tablespoon maybe, something like that, somewhere around there. Am I right? I'm not a good baker. I've had disasters in my kitchen with trying to bake just a simple loaf of French bread. It was awful. I, I don't want to tell you about it right now. Okay? It's, it's, it was a painful situation. But... It's this really small amount, like 100 to 1, like 100 to 1 with like the flour to yeast ratio, but just that little bit of yeast in that flour mixed up and kneaded and and baked affects the whole loaf. It makes the whole loaf rise. So Jesus is using that way of speaking to warn us. Jesus is warning that concerning religious hypocrisy and political ambition and this desire for power, a little bit goes a long way. If just a little bit of that gets into your heart, it can affect the whole person. These people who would try to lead us, try to get influence from us by us following them, when they have selfish ambition, just a little bit of that in our lives and affecting us, just a little bit of that in our heart can affect the whole person. It can affect how you think, how you see, what you believe, how you treat people. I think we've seen a lot of that recently. If you let these non-saturated, non-Jesus-saturated ambitions get into your heart, they have the power to corrupt the whole thing, just like a small packet of yeast causes the whole loaf to rise and become puffed up, so does a small amount of giving your heart and mind to a cause other than Jesus and his kingdom. Beware, look out, guard your heart. 
Verse 16. Look at the disciples' response to Jesus' teaching about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, he's quoting Old Testament scripture here, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Guys, just, just like a couple days back, just think about it for a second. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. <laughs> like enough for a basket for each one of us? And the seven... The seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Here's what he's saying. He says, guys, I'm trying to teach you spiritual truths. Like, I'm teaching you right now about the danger of these Pharisees and, and, and Herod and his group. But because your stomachs are growling and you only have eyes to see what you think is your most immediate need, you're changing the subject back to the material and the temporal when I'm trying to give you truth that is spiritual and eternal. He quotes Jeremiah and Isaiah and Jesus basically says to his disciples, you have physical eyes and you have physical ears and yet you're still blind and deaf in the way that it counts. Are your hearts hardened? Is it because you don't want to hear the truth? Because I keep trying to show you things that will transform who you are becoming. But you keep changing the subject back to what you want or what you think you need right here now in the immediate. You're thinking about bread, literal loaf of bread, and how are we going to have enough to eat? And I'm trying to teach you things that are eternal in nature for your soul. Do you not remember what I did with a couple loaves for 5,000 people who were hungry? And then again with 4,000 people. How can you worry about bread when you've seen me feed thousands from a lunch for five? I'm right here in the boat with you. I can handle one loaf of bread. And he says to his disciples, you don't have a bread problem. You have a sight problem. A believing problem, a truth problem, a faith problem. This reminds me so much of my personal response during this pandemic time. Does it for you? Is anyone here feeling a little bit uncomfortable? You see, with this pandemic we've been going through, I believe truly with all my heart when I'm seeing things clearly, I think, that God is allowing the people of his church to walk through a refining fire. That this is about us growing in faith, not hunkering down and waiting for the other end of it. And yet my brain automatically and continuously, when I'm feeling the pressure of this season we're in, my brain automatically runs to, when will, will there be a vaccine? And when will schools reopen? God, please get my kids out of my house. <laughs> I love you girls. I'm sorry, but you want that too. And, 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 asking, and asking, does the government have the right to make the decisions they're making? 
And, and, and another question, for the love of all that is holy, where can I get some toilet paper? <laughs> again. There's been a run on toilet paper again. We don't learn our lessons, do we? But Jesus is trying to come at me with this season so that I grow and I change, but I'm thinking about the government and toilet paper. And all these questions feel really important, and to a degree, they are important. But I feel like Jesus is looking at me and probably the whole American church and saying, why are you changing the subject? I've given you a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to become more like me through hardships that can refine you, strengthen you, teach you grace, and teach you perseverance. Oh, church, we have to learn perseverance. The American church, Americans in general know nothing of perseverance. Some do. Some have had to persevere. Some of you have had to persevere. Incredibly horrible things. But most of us don't have a clue what true perseverance means. This could teach us perseverance. What we're going through, if we had eyes to see and ears to hear, could teach us perseverance. If we were willing. And yet we're talking about government and schools and toilet paper and politics. Yes, those are important to you. Those aren't, are not unimportant things. We, we have to be able to discuss those issues, those things that affect us and affect people. But Jesus isn't just wanting to come to us talking about important things. He's trying to accomplish something that is vital to us, not just important, something that's vital to us. He says to us, I have something much more pressing and eternal that I'm trying to accomplish in you. Through this whole pandemic, it feels like people have taken sides. And there are those who are talking about rights and freedom. And there are those who are talking about risk and danger. And to those with rights and freedom, Jesus says, you're changing the point. It's not about your rights. It's not about your freedoms. It's about that I'm your king. And I get to say what happens to you. And you get to follow me no matter what that goes through. And to those that are only fearful of what could happen because of the virus. To his church, Jesus says, even if you get it and the worst of the worst happens and you die, you have a home that you're going to. Don't be afraid. We need eyes to see and ears to hear that we don't currently have. Church, God is asking us not to exchange what is spiritual, transformational, and eternal for that which is material, conventional, and temporal. You realize that what we're going through will not last forever. Do you realize this? It feels like it's lasted forever. Can I get an amen? Amen! But, 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 Our current trials will not last forever, but the work Jesus does in our hearts will. It will. So are we letting Jesus work in our hearts, or are we just trying to get through this as quick as possible? If we do, we just push reset on the church learning its lesson.
I don't want to do that to you. Please don't do that to me. Learn, grow, change, transform, and use this season we're in for what it is in Jesus' eyes. It's an opportunity to transform who you are. Don't waste it. Don't let your heart be hardened. If you exchange what is spiritual, transformational, and eternal for that which is material, conventional, and so temporal, so temporary, it's choosing blindness. Don't let your heart be hard. Don't choose blindness. Now, in this story that we read, should the disciples have been able to kind of like get it by now? They were with Jesus nonstop. They've seen him do amazing things over and over again. Should the disciples kind of like get it by now? Probably. Did they get it? Not quite. But why doesn't Jesus lead them like he did the Pharisees? He's in a boat. He can walk on water. Why doesn't he just step out and say, I'm, I'm out of here. You guys are on your own. Why didn't Jesus do that with the disciples? He did with the Pharisees. It's because these disciples weren't choosing blindness. They were just kind of stuck in it. And Jesus has miraculous patience for us. Guys, of all the miracles that Jesus has done, and I've seen in God's word and the things I've seen in the world, of all the miracles that Jesus has done, I think his patience with me is probably the biggest miracle he's ever done. How about you? His, his, his patience for us is nothing short of miraculous. For those who want to see but just can't yet. And so, with Jesus and his disciples, when the wheels fall off and they're not getting it and they're hopelessly blind, he stops, he puts the wheels back on, and he keeps leading them into truth. And he does the same thing for you and I every day of our lives as we seek to follow him. We don't get it, and we're dull, and sometimes we're dumb, and sometimes we're just plain rebellious and pig-headed. And yet Jesus is patient. Hmm. Now, the next story we're about to read here may seem unconnected from what we've read so far. It may seem like just another healing that Jesus is going to do, but I, I promise you it is not disconnected and it is not just another healing. This story that we're about to read is very strategically placed here by Mark, the author. Not just to show Jesus' amazing power to heal, but Mark placed it here as a commentary on what we've just seen with the disciples. Let's read it. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him, Jesus, a blind man, and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Just take that Stop for a second. Just the tender moment that is. This blind man can't lead himself, and Jesus grabs him by the hand, holds his hand, and walks him out of the village somewhere where he's not surrounded by people. Does that remind you at all of you when you were lost and you couldn't see at all? And Jesus loved you enough to take you by the hand and lead you to truth? He took the man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, guys, don't ask, I don't know. <laughs> That's weird. And laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? 
And he, the blind man, looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And the blind man opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Isn't it interesting that this healing is done in stages rather than immediately? It's done progressively rather than all at once. We've already seen healings in the book of Mark where Jesus said the word or touched someone or someone touched him and they were instantly healed. Isn't it interesting that right after the disciples didn't get it, right after their blindness is still intact and he's trying to teach them, he's trying over and over and over again, isn't it interesting that Mark puts a story in here of a blind man who Jesus heals, but he doesn't do it all at once? It's in stages. Mark is using this healing as a commentary on the nature of being Jesus' disciple. You see, church, our spiritual blindness is dealt with progressively. Just like the disciples, it is not immediate. Our maturity, our holiness, our obedience, and our ability to see things the way God sees them is a process. Say it after me. It is a process. So you can take a deep breath and put away the self-discouragement and the self-loathing, the fact that you don't totally get it yet, the fact that you're still making mistakes and you don't always trust Jesus 100%, the fact that you don't always obey, the fact that he tells you something and you learned a lesson the hard way this time, but then the next time it comes around, you have to learn the hard lesson again. Anyone in here like that? I know I am. You can take a deep breath and say, this is how it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. This is the grace of our God. He is ridiculously patient with us. And our maturity is not accomplished in an instant. Have you ever, um, when you're driving, pulled up behind someone in a turn lane and your blinker's on and their blinker's on and they get in perfect sync? Am I... Like, give me some feedback here because I feel like I'm the only, if I'm the only person in this room that, like, notices that, I feel, like, weird. But have you ever, you, you pull up behind someone and, and, and your blinkers are, like, in perfect sync, right? Or at least you think they are. But then what happens if you're at that red light long enough? Like, in Modesto, all the red lights are at least five minutes long. And if you're there long enough, what happens? They start getting out of sync, don't they? But, but then what happens if you're there even longer? Again, in Modesto at a five-minute red light, what happens? They, they get back in sync again, don't they? And then they get out of sync, and then it goes back in sync. That's a lot to me how I picture my walk with Jesus. There's times and seasons of my life I feel like I'm in perfect sync with Jesus. He's teaching me. I'm learning. I'm obeying. I'm being humble. I'm, you know, not being a jerk, and I'm being kind, and I'm loving, and I'm doing the things that he wants me to do and I'm trusting him and then something happens and it just feels like we start getting out of sync. And then time goes by and God does some things in my heart and we get back in sync again. And it just keeps going like that. I, I pulled up behind someone the other day on, on my way home in a 
turn lane and their blinker was on. It was like a Chevy truck and I'm in my little Honda Civic and, and, our, and our blinkers were on exactly the same and, and uh, there was a long red light. It was like at least a minute and, and they stayed in sync the entire time. Like it was a miracle. I, I got truly excited in my heart. Like this has never happened before. I was so pumped about that and it means nothing. So I'm just stupid, but I was excited about that, and I don't know why. Maybe there was some deep metaphorical thing that happened in my heart, seeing that happen now. It was just cool. But one day, you and I will be in perfect sync with Jesus all the time. But he's going to have to kill you to get you there. (laughs) And that's okay. We will be. Two steps forward, one step back. And, and Mark shows us this two steps forward moment in Peter just, just in this next part of the, the uh, passage here so we don't lose hope. Verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And his disciples told him, well, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others say it's, well, you're one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you, my disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up for the whole group and knocks it out of the park. And Peter says, you are the Christ. Bleachers. In one sentence, four words, Peter sums up the whole gospel of Mark. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Once again, trying to stay out of the limelight because he didn't, in my view, want to get in the limelight too much where too many people loved him and accepted him so that he wouldn't go to the cross. Jesus has his eyes dead set on the cross. He's going to die for his people. Too many people liked him. It wouldn't have happened. So Jesus says, don't don't reveal this to anyone yet. So Peter has this incredibly lucid moment where he is able to articulate the entire message of this book. Jesus, you are the Christ. And notice that it was Jesus who gave Peter the opportunity to do so. He asked the question, and then Peter just knocks it out of the park. Jesus just won't give up on those who are stumbling towards him. After the experience Jesus had in the boat with the disciples, I I, I could just imagine Jesus being like, I have this question I want to ask him, but I'm just not going to bother because they're going to say something dumb, and then I'm going to be frustrated and then a lightning, no, I, I mean, it's, I, but he doesn't, he gives them another opportunity. And Jesus, Peter knocks it out of the park. You are the Christ. He finally gets it. Finally, yes. And then if you three, read three sentences later, Peter forbids Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus calls Peter Satan. <laughs> Two steps forward, one major step back. Two steps forward, back. This is the way. This is the way. It is for us as Christians. This is the way of being a follower of Jesus. He reveals himself to us, but we have a progressive experience of clarity. It's not all at once. Through scripture, obedience, and community in the church, we grow. 
And we can never assume that we've arrived. Church people, don't ever assume you've arrived. Don't ever get to an age where you say, I've known Jesus long enough and I've gotten to where I'm going to get. I don't care if you're 97 years old. Keep growing. You have not arrived until Jesus takes your life from you. Until you're in heaven with him and all that is imperfect has been made perfected. Following and even understanding Jesus is a lifelong pursuit. Church, don't ever settle. If you do settle, hardness of heart will settle in. And this demands great humility. The disciples didn't quite get it yet, but their hearts were humble and they kept going. The goal isn't to arrive. The goal is to stay humble and keep seeking to know Jesus clearly. This passage illuminates the grace and the patience that Jesus has for us, doesn't it? That he just keeps keeps going with us, doesn't give up. But I think it should also inspire a great grace and patience in our heart towards each other and others, shouldn't it? If Jesus is that patient with us, why would we not be that patient with each other and those in our lives? You know, there are times that we feel that people in our lives just aren't getting it. Have you through the last eight months looked at anyone in your life and been like, man, I just don't think they get it. They just don't get it, right? There are those times in our life when we look around and we feel that way about people. And sometimes it's true. We're having a lucid, clear moment like Peter when he said, Jesus, you are the Christ, and we have clarity. They do not, and they're in a bad place, and they're still working on that. But sometimes when we think the people around us just don't get it, it's not because they're out to lunch. Because how many people in your life are looking at you right now and saying, they just don't get it. Anyone? Yeah. Maybe it's not that they're out to lunch. Maybe I'm having one of those not getting it moments like Peter three verses later. It says, Jesus, don't die on the cross. That'll do no good for anybody. Maybe I'm having the moment of non-clarity. This takes humility. It takes not thinking you know everything takes realizing that you've been wrong before and you can be wrong again, and you probably are, at least in some ways. How do I know if what I'm thinking right now comes from a place of clarity or comes from a place of error? We must be constantly saturating our minds with God's word, but not in isolation. We need the clarity that comes from other Christians being in our lives and being honest with us. We must submit to the wisdom of the community around us. Because even if you spend hours and hours every day studying the Bible, you can still misinterpret its meaning, can't you? You can still get it wrong. You can still be blind to what it's saying to you. No one of us is always right, and no one of us is ever an island. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Here's the deal. None of us in this room, none of you at home, see everything as clearly as we should. None of us have perfect vision. None of us see Jesus and see the things behind the things. You know what I mean? What's behind the curtain? What's behind what's happening right now? What's behind the pandemic? The why of what we're going through here. And even if the pandemic wasn't here, just the why of life in general. Most of us don't see past what's happening and past what we want to happen. 
Most of us don't have eyes to see beyond that, but Jesus invites us into it. And if he invites us into it, it must be possible. Every one of us is responsible for our response to Jesus. Every one of us is responsible to take the fire he's letting us walk through and let it change us, not change the subject and make it about something other than what it is. We've got to stop changing the subject. We've got to stop making this time we're going through about the government or about the the cure or about school or about toilet paper. We've got to make it about Jesus refining his people. That's your decision and that's my decision. But Jesus doesn't leave us helpless. He doesn't ditch us and say, ah, I don't, I'm done with them. He doesn't get out of the boat and walk away. He stays with us and he walks us through it, each one of us. Keep your heart soft and humble to him. Let's pray together. And would you stand? Jesus, we know that you have truth and vision and sight for us that we don't yet have and you so desperately want to give it to us and you want us to hear you, see you, and follow you in clarity. But we are weak and we do not have the sight that we need and so we just humbly here now as your people ask you to give it to us and that we'd see you today even clearer than we have before, that we'd walk out of this room with just a little bit more truth, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more ability to have our hearts in sync with yours. We look forward to the day when we're in perfect sync with you, like those blinkers I saw the other day. But until then, Father, thank you for your patience. Thank you that there is hope and you walk us through it all. Right now, as we lift our voices to sing, we worship you because of the God that you are. We thank you. And we praise you selflessly because you have been so good to us. Accept our worship to you now as an offering in Jesus' name. Everyone say. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.